sofas, recliners, love seats. Everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute. Who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. West Hollywood. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Love It or Leave It, Chock-A-Block, with fantastic breaking news. Michael Cohen, welcome to the resistance. (laughs) Doesn't matter when you get woke. Doesn't matter how you get woke, etc. I just watched 45 minutes of Chris Cuomo interviewing Rudy Giuliani, and I felt IQ points flying out of my fucking face. I cannot believe that that happens on CNN in some form every single night. I can't believe that that's what's going on. I also want to say, I'm about to go to uh, Tommy Vitor's wedding. Very exciting. And I just want to say that uh, a lot has changed in the last 75 years, but the suit hasn't changed at all. Lapels get wider, lapels get thinner, but they're still deeply uncomfortable. Everything about it is the same. Nice shoes, slacks, collar button right up to your neck which is for long-necked people. It's not designed for the short-necked and the short-torsoed, because it wasn't designed by my people. I always see old movies where people are wearing suits all the time on hot days, and I am obsessed with how uncomfortable and disgusting they all must have been. All old movies are wearing suits and ties all the time. It's gonna be 100 fucking degrees. We're all wearing jackets. Everything else has changed, but that hasn't changed. Why not? What are we doing? I thought this was a patriarchy. If it is a patriarchy, what kind of patriarchy says that women can wear sundresses when it's sunny and men just wear a lighter color of the same thing they wear in the dead of fucking winter? It's the exact same shape. It's the exact same outfit. And I have to tell you, If I could wear a sundress and have it not be the, at best, fourth thing somebody would say about me, I would do it. It's not because I'd be embarrassed about wearing a sundress. I just think it sucks that if I were to put on a sundress, it would become a salient quality, something people would mention early on, which is bullshit. A masculine skirt like William Wallace or Eddie Izzard. I don't know where to get a skirt. 
I legitimately don't know because I don't want a feminine skirt. I want a male skirt. And I've Googled it. And I don't want a fucking kilt. I want something with pockets, something a boy would wear to football or shooting or an alt-right rally. I don't know, something, something tough. We're recording next week's show on Friday in L.A. at Dynasty Typewriter, so buy tickets now if you're going to be in L.A. And also, The Wilderness is out now by Jonathan Favreau, uh, Pod Save America host. It's a fantastic documentary about the history and future of the Democratic Party. He's worked on it for nine months. Listen to it. It's excellent. You'll learn a lot. You'll hear from a lot of cool people. So do it. Men wear the same thing at all fancy events. What, what do you ask? Oh, wool pants, wool jacket, shirt buttoned up to your neck, and one piece of gay fabric. That's the place where you're very gay. Dick Cheney can wear flowers, but only in the necktie. Why the necktie? Why are we all wearing the one fucking outfit all the time? It is so fucking stupid. George Washington got to wear tights. Where'd they go? Why did that go away? And, what, and if that transition was possible, we can do something else. There was a period of time when men were showing up, some in tights and some in pants. Change is possible. All right, enough nonsense. Let's... Stop wasting time. Let's start the show. We have a fantastic panel. She's the co-host of the new comedy podcast, Couples Therapy. Please welcome Naomi Ekparrigan. Hi. Hi, Naomi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so good. Are you on an emotional journey? A little bit. Just in general? Yeah. All right. Are you? Always. Cool. Always. Going someplace fun? Oh, never. Never. I've never been on a fun emotional journey. The fun is usually a pit stop. You know, a Mm. journey is, honey, sideways. Good. (laughs) Next guest. (laughs) She's the executive vice president at Planned Parenthood. Please welcome Dawn Legance. How you doing, Dawn? I'm doing good. Good. However, I have a bad condition I have to explain. Which is? It's not HPV. It's PPV. Permanent protest voice. Okay. (laughs) Is it treatable? 2020. 2020. And he is a comedian, friend of the pod, hero... Author of the new book, My Life as a Goddess, which everybody should pick up. Please welcome back to the show, Guy Branham. Hi, Guy. Hello, John. Thank you for having me back. How did that have edge in it? (laughs) Why? I feel guilty. I feel like the love it or leave it fans at home are going to be like, this guy again. It was like a month ago. No, they're going to be like, this guy again, but it was a month ago. That's very optimistic. It's unlike you. Don't reward a comedian fishing for compliments. He knows exactly what he's doing. Okay, let's get into it. What a week. 
Okay, so lots of awful shit happened this week, whether it was Trump ignoring the deadline to reunite families or the fascist wing of the Republican Party attempting to impeach Rod Rosenstein. But we wanted to focus on something that brought some joy to our hearts. Trump on tape asking his lawyer to pay a porn star in cash. In September of 2016, then-candidate Donald Trump and his then-fixer, Michael Cohen, agreed to funnel $150,000 through a shell company to assure that a politically damaging story about a 2006 affair Trump had with Playboy playmate Karen McDougal remained secret. This is the same year Trump's son, Barron, was born. It's how Trump remembers it. <laughs> On Tuesday night... Michael Cohen's lawyer, Lanny Davis, released audio of that conversation, which Cohen secretly recorded at the time because he's such a good lawyer. <laughs> this tape confirms that Trump and his campaign lied over and over again, not only about the affair, but also about Trump's efforts to bury it ahead of the election. There's also a good chance it may amount to a violation of campaign finance law. The big question about these payoffs has always been whether Trump knowingly authorized a financial transaction and whether the purpose of the transaction was to affect the outcome of the election. This tape shows that the answer is clearly yes. While these tapes aren't as salacious or sexy as, say, a tape involving micturation on a hotel bed in Moscow, <laughs> they may end up being more important. At one point, Trump says, what do we got to pay for this? 150? The Inquirer reportedly paid 150 to McDougal to catch and kill her story. At the end of the tape, Trump suggests they pay in cash, and good boy non-criminal Michael Cohen says, no, 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 repeatedly. So what are we gonna pay? Funding, yes. And I spoke to Alan about it. When it comes time for the financing, which will be, listen. What financing? We'll have to pay you, so. I'll pay no, 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 I got it. So there's been a lot of nonsense about this. Rudy Giuliani is like, they're all pretending Trump said something he didn't. Trump said, pay in cash. And Cohen says, no, 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 no. I got this. Because what he was saying is, don't, you don't, I, I'll take a loan out of my house. It's fine. Because he's such a good lawyer. Uh, also in the clip, you can hear Trump scream, get me a Coke, please. <laughs> Presumably directly at a soda machine. Give me a Coke, please. <laughs> I love that. I love that because he's parched. I want a lawyer with table service. <laughs> but I imagine he's also saying it to the person who is talking. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not hearing any of the words. Get me a Coke. Get me a Coke. Get me a Coke. It's like, that's not how talking works. You know what I mean? I also love whenever we get a chance to hear Donald Trump when he's not performing because it's rare. It's actually rare. It's, you hear it here. You hear it in some. You hear it in the Access Hollywood tape. You also hear it in depositions of Donald Trump, where the kind of circus barker thing falls away, and you hear that kind of gruff grift voice. Uh, and I think it's always interesting to hear. That's neither here nor there, but I do feel every day like we're learning more and more about Donald Trump, the character. So that has value, I suppose. Beyond the payoff, Cohn also informs Trump that he is fighting a legal effort to unseal the records of Trump's divorce from his first wife, Ivana. Trump makes clear that his top priority is making sure that those records remain private at least until after the election. Then, last night, wolf in sheep's clothing, or perhaps sheep in wolf's clothing in sheep's clothing? <laughs> Michael Avenatti, we don't know. We don't know what to make of Michael Avenatti. Uh, he tweeted that Trump paid off multiple other women and may even have been concerned about a pregnancy, which of course is bad news for Barron's line of secession when Trump announces our new American monarchy uh, after the 2020 election. <laughs> Congrats to Rudy Giuliani. 
Viceroy of the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, and finally, moments before we started the show, news broke that Michael Cohen is willing to testify that Donald Trump knew about the Russian Trump Tower meeting before Jared Kushner, uh, Paul Manafort, and Don Jr. took it. Uh, and who can forget that Don Jr. So everyone is reporting this, that Don Jr. quote, called a block number. You hear that all the time. Who was the block number he called? He called before and he called after. You can't call a block number. Am I crazy? You can't. You take out your phone, call a block number. You can't do it. It doesn't make any fucking sense. You could call a block number. It wouldn't be a block number. You'd have to put in the number. The, you can't just say, call a block number. The phone needs to know who you're trying to reach. What are we talking about? I see it all the time. Tons of news reports. It was in the Senate hearing. They're like, Don Jr., who is this block number you called? And he says, I don't recall. Of course he doesn't recall. You can't call a block number. What are you even doing here? We all have phones. You can't call a block number. Everybody says it over and over again. It's taken as fact. Don Jr. called a block number. A block number called him, and he answered it. Why? Because it was his fucking dad, and maybe this is the time it ended with an I love you. <laughs> God. Yes. You went to law school. I did. Uh, <laughs> it didn't take. It didn't take. Well, it seems as though uh, you and Michael Cohen have gotten about the same amount out of your legal degrees. <laughs> I love that Michael Cohen at this point is like, I'm not really a lawyer. <laughs> like, attorney-client privilege, schmaternity-client privilege. He's just trying to cover his ass. And I, I love so deeply that, like, for the first year of the Trump administration, he was, f like, destroying relationships left and right, and I was waiting for somebody to be pissed off enough that they would turn around and, like you know, reveal some shit about him. And all of those nice, responsible Republicans took it on the chin and walked away and were, were good boys and played the game. Uh, and fuck them. And I just love that, like, his pet slime ball is slimeballing him because that's what slime balls do. Right. Did, did you hear that it was... the Read the article today it was so fascinating that um, his feelings were hurt, that, that Trump just didn't talk to him after all this. <laughs> Said. It really said that. At a certain point, we'll just sort of face up to the fact that I would say a solid 70 to 80% of the world's problems are men dealing with their father issues on a world stage. I've, I've always said, in this world, all your shell corporations lawyers want is love. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Naomi, we are now living in a time in which uh, we have the scummiest people on earth set against the other scummiest people on earth. We've got Lanny Davis, a total sleaze, representing Michael Cohen, a total sleaze. We have Michael Avenatti. I don't know what he is yet. What do you I think like Michael Avenatti is? A messy bitch who lives for drama, <laughs> but, but, who will also like have your back in a fight when you were right. You know what I mean? Like, he'll start some shit. He will start some shit, but he gonna finish it too. And I feel like I appreciate the follow through. You know what I mean? I don't want you whispering in my ear, getting me gassed up and then running away. So at least I feel like he is in it. You know what I'm saying? I do know what, you say, what you're saying. And, yep. I, and you've made something make sense to me <laughs> in a fundamental way. <laughs> Don, you know, as we've been watching this unfold, we've seen Trump 
call the Mueller investigation a witch hunt and a hoax, directing the craziest amount of vitriol at those coming after him. But at the same time, I think we've seen that kind of language trickle down into a lot of the other fights we're having. Have you seen this kind of deterioration in rhetoric in the attacks that Planned Parenthood is sort of facing on basically a daily basis? Yes. I mean, I think we have to, starting with the payment to try to shut up Karen McDougal, right? They've been trying to shut up Planned Parenthood since the day they got in office. And one of the things that the biggest policy position that the administration has is a gag rule. It's actually called the gag rule. They want to shut up doctors and women from being able to get real information about their health and their care. And it does trickle down. I mean, we see more uh, you know, people who are saying harsh things. We see more of uh, the Republican Party legislatures in the states doing really horrible laws. But I'll tell you what, we see an outpouring of people who are standing up and saying, no way are they going back, and no way are they going to let women's lives be criminalized. We also learned today that Alan Weisselberg, the chief financial officer of the Trump Organization, has been subpoenaed to testify before the federal grand jury investigating Cohen. On the recording, Cohen names Weisselberg as a participant in a plan to pay off McDougal. Weisselberg is said to know more about the Trump Organization than anyone else in Trump world, and that might just include whether Trump owes large debts to, say, Russian oligarchs. Uh, I've tried to be, I'd say, cautious or at least cynical or not hopeful <laughs> about where these things are leading. But, you know, I think about that Adam Davidson piece that came out a few months ago about are we entering the beginning of the end, and, the be and you know it's the beginning of the end because you're finally starting to get at the truth. Is this the end of the beginning or is it the beginning of the end? Are, are we wrong to feel like we're finally getting at the truth? What do you think, Guy? I worry that we are at a point where the truth won't solve this problem. Yeah. It is only politics that will solve this problem. Like, it's a Republican Party that has been presented with a ridiculous number of truths. I mean, even just from the fact that I, I remember so distinctly uh, during the primary debate when Trump got asked about what he was going to do with his private businesses, and he was just like, it'll be fine, and nobody followed up on it. <laughs> like, um, we've, we've, we knew that these things were coming, They've happened, uh, and it's going to take a huge Democratic win to stop them. There isn't going to be a fact that is going to make the Republicans finally be upset with him. I think that's right, but there is still value. I mean, the truth is in part how we will help convince people to vote. I mean, what do you think? Well, I, that's the thing. That's, it, I'm not seeing enough signs that the people who have stood by him are stepping away from him. I don't mean I don't mean his business people and the politicians, but the actual supporters of Trump. I'm not seeing fewer numbers in the places where there he's always had people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's it kind of feels like he said Mexicans were rapists for the beginning. Do you know what I mean? Like and if that didn't make people say, no thank you, what about now is gonna change their mind, especially as it gets so much more um, there are children in cages. A shell corporation isn't going to change right. things. Although I do think we're seeing uh, the largest historic gender gap building that we have ever seen, 26 points as of today. And I think voters in November are going to do to Trump and the Republicans who are running this agenda what Nordstrom did to Ivanka's shoes. <laughs> 
And just a quick in memoriam for the Ivanka Trump brand. Uh, Marshalls will be so empty now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What will be left in a Marshall? Yeah, what are you gonna <laughs> what are you gonna look through at the bin by the register at Kohl's? At a TJ Maxx, there's just a layer that'll be missing. You won't notice it's gone, and yet your arm will go deeper in the barrel faster. Faster, right. You're like, all these uh, half-open bath bombs. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not being covered with by shoes. a pashmina. Yeah, you know, with a pashmina. A chunky um, shoe. It, my mind just goes to Jessica Simpson. She had to ask, should I associate my business with fascism and white supremacy? She said, no, those boots are still in Nordstrom. Boots are still walking. Those boots are still in Nordstrom. <laughs> a lesson for all of us in these times of trial. When we come back, okay, stop. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at crooked.com slash friends. And we're back! <laughs> now it's time for OK Stop. We'll roll a clip and the panel can say OK Stop at any point to comment. Democratic socialism is not only coming for your children, but according to Fox News... <laughs> It is also terrifying how much intrinsic sense it makes to people. <laughs> One Fox News reporter was overcome with terror when she attended a rally for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So based upon what you saw, why are people drawn to this message? Well, I, I was listening to, to them talk, to Ocasio-Cortez and also to Cori Bush, who she was stumping for in, in St. Louis. And... They say things, I mean, they talk about things that everybody wants, especially like if you're a parent. They talk about education for your kids, health care for your kids. Okay, stop. <laughs> they talk about things uh, that people want. Um, <laughs> education for children and health care for children. <laughs> Like it's foreign. I was almost surprised she even pronounced her name right. Because once she got to education and healthcare, she was truly bumbling. You know? I mean, uh, you know, I, I do think it's really dangerous. They tempt people in with ideas like education for children or healthcare for education, and then they really get them with a fair wage, you know? Um, like, we don't know what the ramifications could be of having greater equality in this country. Sitcoms will be worse. You'll no longer have a billionaire and a poor person who can't get along. <laughs> right. That uh, undercover boss uh, just has to go to 30 minutes. Because there's just so much less to what learn. What will that do to the American economy? We can't I mean, say. structured reality is the only industry we have left. 
<laughs> I don't remember who said it. Somebody here may remember, but you know, that every fanatic harbors a secret doubt. And I just love the idea that this woman is like at this rally and is like, these people are crazy. <laughs> right? Healthcare for everybody. Education for everybody. It's just not right. Right? <laughs> the things that you want. And, you know, if you're not really paying attention to how they're going to pay for it or, you know, the rest of that. Okay, stop. Easy. We spend trillions of dollars every year making, like, defense equipment that we're never going to need. We are fighting battles from 1954. We never have a conversation about how we're going to pay for that either. We borrowed a trillion dollars to cut the tax rates for corporations and the wealthiest people in this country, and there was never a discussion how we were going to pay for it on Fox News. We spend a trillion dollars on the, on the F-35, and I think... As of re recently, they have finally figured out how it can fly in the rain. So, they're building ships with guns for which they discontinued the bullets. And John, if I can add, they are trying to take away birth control from 4.5 million low-income people in this country and to turn the teen pregnancy prevention program into an abstinence-only plan. So, they are, they are trying to get it on every end. And this is one of my obsessions, but reproductive freedom is such an economic issue. Like this country, my hometown runs on unwanted pregnancies. It runs on people like workers who have to make like uh, economic choices under duress. And when people are able to plan their lives, they don't have to take the work like a job. For anybody's bullshit. Exactly. They don't have to take anybody's bullshit. You don't have to eat shit if you have a plan for your life. They're like, how dare you dream? You know what I'm saying? That's all it is. How dare you dream? I saw a room full of people with hope in their hearts, and it made me sick to my stomach. Fall into that trap and say, my kids deserve this. And, you know, well, maybe the government should be responsible for helping me with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so it's so funny to watch somebody slowly back into changing their mind. Like, uh -huh. And eventually, if you start to think that everybody should have health care, you start to think that your kids deserve it. And then you start to think, well, if the market isn't providing it, the market isn't fair and just. And even if you believe in a free market, there ought to be some safeguards because capitalism isn't inherently just or unjust. It's just a way of efficiently dividing resources, but we're human beings. And human beings experience mercy and justice and fairness and love. And those are things that capitalism can't solve. And so perhaps what we need is a social safety net, a strong one. One that makes sure that while capitalism allows our economy to create interesting products and give people a chance to follow their dreams and start businesses, at the same time, we make sure that every child has a chance to succeed, even if their parents didn't have as much luck in the market. It was terrifying. <laughs> we were talking about how they had gotten involved because they were tired of being angry all the time. It seems like so much effort to be angry about everything. Okay, okay stop. stop. <laughs> I mean, the breezy, relaxed tone with which conservatives have been, you know, coasting through the past few years. Yeah. Their smooth, comfortable relationship with Muslims and, you know, uh, like uh, immigrants who aren't from Northern Europe. Yeah. Um, let's, check in with, let's check in with Bill O'Reilly for a night of a cotillion, you know? It's... It was 
uncomfortable is the best word for the entire sure. event. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how this socialist agenda plays in the Midwest. <laughs> I think he meant the midterms. Yeah, the, the farmers of the Midwest have never had a reason to like socialism. <laughs> Um, like, uh, you know, uh, I think M Milwaukee had like uh, uh, five or six like socialist mayors. Like the Democratic Party of Minnesota is still named after like the agrarian socialist party that cropped up. I think there are a lot of people, once this trade war really has time to sink in, I think the Midwest and the Rust Belt are going to have a lot of opinions about democratic socialism. <laughs> when we come back, we're gonna play a game. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. With Brett Kavanaugh just a few votes away from giving the Supreme Court a conservative majority for maybe decades to come, a lot of people are concerned about what this means for Roe versus Wade. But even with Roe on the books, people are still doing everything they can to limit access to abortion and spread misinformation about abortion rights and the bodily autonomy of a subset of human beings known as women. Women. <laughs> so I thought we'd explore some of this misinformation in a game we're calling I'd Rather Be Dead Than Give Quality Sex Ed. Would anyone out there like to play the game? Hi, Hi, what's your name? My name's Maddie. Maddie. I turned 25 today. Hi, everyone. 25. Wow. Oh, I can see the light in your eyes. You know, 25, that's rich. 25. So that means you were born in 1993? The year that the last baby boomer on your show bought his house. Yeah. I will not get that right. Honestly, I am less bothered by when that baby boomer bought his house than the year you were born. Take it. Maddie, here's how it works. I'm going to ask you a question. Two of the panelists will give answers they learned in abstinence-only sex ed, and one of the panelists will give the correct answer. You have to decide who to believe. Are you ready? Okay. Question number one. If you are against abortion, what is the best way to prevent abortions from occurring? Is it A... Wait outside an abortion clinic, cover yourself with pig's blood, and scream at young women who are going in, just like Jesus Christ did. <laughs> or is it B? Access to proper contraception and evidence-based sex education are the single best ways to prevent abortions from needing to occur. Or is it C? Put the abortion at the end of like a really hard escape room. <laughs> Definitely B. It is, Maddie. It's B. Question two. America was once a great and holy place. When did the devil's practice of abortion start in this holiest of countries? 
Is it A? In 1973, when Hillary Clinton did Roe versus Wade, and abortions were officially invented by Dr. James Roe and Dr. Dwayne Wade. Or is it B? From the 1700s through about 1880, abortion was common and legal in the United States. Abortion drugs were advertised in newspapers and could be bought over the counter or even by mail order. After over a century of legal abortions in America, the church condemned the practice and Congress passed the Comstock Law in 1873, which banned abortion drugs in America along with contraceptives. In the century that followed, illegal abortions never went away and during the Great Depression actually increased. The 1950s saw upwards of 1.2 million abortions every year. So even if Trump repeals Roe versus Wade, abortions will still occur in the states, and there's a very good chance we could even have more. Or was it C? March 20th, 1998, the day the movie Wild Things came out. Because, like, everyone was having too much sex after that, you know? What are you going to do? You seen that movie, John, or are you a virgin? I was definitely a virgin when I saw that movie. Maddie? B. Yeah, it's B. <laughs> Question number three. What is Planned Parenthood? Is it A? Okay, it's like a one-stop shop for everything you need, like an oil change, tire rotation, brake repair, fluid check, battery replacement, shocks and struts, alignment, spark plug, brake light repair, you name it. No, hold on, I'm sorry. I am thinking of Pet Boys. <laughs> so sorry. Or is it B? One of the nation's leading providers of high-quality, affordable health care and the nation's largest provider of sex education and outreach, including morning-after pills, birth control, STD testing, HIV services, LGBTQ services, vaccines, abortion, pregnancy tests, and the most controversial one of all, men's health. <laughs> Or is it C? I'm very confused because I thought Planned Parenthood was that maudlin show where they make Mandy Moore look old sometimes. (laughs) That is This Is Us. Uh, I'm I'm thinking of Parenthood, the NBC show where Peter Krause performs abortion. (laughs) Guy, buckle up for the final question. Uh, Maddie, did you even answer that last one? It's B. Okay. Maddie, final question. What happens if you have premarital sex? Is it A? You go straight to hell because premarital sex is adultery against your future husband. (laughs) Is it B? You have premarital sex, and it maybe is not that great, but it's still not a big deal. Or is it C? I married my high school boyfriend, Chet, but then one day I woke up and looked in the mirror and realized that I wanted to be a writer and live in Tangiers and see the world, but I wasn't even smart enough to be afraid to try. Everything about my life growing up told me that to want big, to dream big, was silly and not what real people do. But I'm real, and I do have big feelings, and I fucking hate Chet now. And I stare at him thinking about ways to leave until we get to the bottom of our nightly bottle of wine and fall asleep watching prestige dramas we can barely understand. What is happening on Westworld? (laughs) Who are these people? Maddie, we need an answer. Well, while my conservative family members might have written the answer for A, it's definitely B. Way to go. You got it. Maddie, 
You've won the game. And a parachute gift card. Before we move on, I did want to talk about this issue because obviously, jokes aside, uh, we're in the middle of an incredible battle. A recent Gallup poll uh, showed record opposition to Kavanaugh, opposition to a Supreme Court justice we have not seen. More people do not want him confirmed than want him confirmed, right? Which is not something I think we've maybe ever seen, at least not, I don't remember ever seeing it. Uh, Don, what do you think is driving that? Well, there's a, a ton of things, but definitely the fact that this is a guy who basically ruled in favor of holding a teen immigrant girl hostage by the government and not letting her get the abortion that she had been, uh, could pay for, had a sponsor for, had proven to a judge as a 17-year-old that she was mature enough to make that decision. And he approved of the idea that she had been denied for six weeks, was willing to deny her for two additional weeks, pushing her into her second trimester. So people are seeing that this guy has a real record. Number one, also, we know that Trump said he would not appoint anyone who would not overturn Roe v. Wade. So we see that he has a record. Uh, people, 71% of people in America have said they do not want Roe overturned. In fact, Trump is making abortion more popular and Roe more popular in this country uh, than it has been in years. And that's because Just with his own personal know. purchases. <laughs> Don, do you believe that the Kavanaugh nomination can be stopped? I do believe it can be stopped. Um, Tell me. 100%. Tell me. We are two days away. In two days, we'll be celebrating the one-year anniversary of defeating the attack on the ACA and the defunding of Planned Parenthood with the McCain vote at the end after Collins and Murkowski and every Democrat held. And I'm, I am certain that we can recreate what's needed. The energy is turning away from this guy. More and more is be found out. They have a million pages of paper that this guy is associated with that have not been reviewed and that they are actually trying to keep from the public. And we need to demand to see what's in those papers. And we need to make sure that when they go before the uh, Senate committee, that they actually have to say what they believe. You know, precedent in now is a lot like the Harry Potter invisibility cloak. You know, you say precedent and all of a sudden your record disappears. So we really have to push our senators and that's what everybody can do. And it's not just call your own senator, it's call every senator you think is on the fence because right now that means each of those senators controls the future of our lives and our kids' lives, and so they have to hear from every single one of us. Thank you for that. Don, uh, when we come back, we're going to have a dramatic reading. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Guys, it's been a rough year going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet you could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst but we have a better idea for you which is pick out something from the crooked store the store is stocked with tons of new merch it's perfect for the spring and classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship depending on how things go pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year or a hat celebrating your favorite pod go to crooked.com store to shop Hey everyone, 
Sean Spicer has a book. <laughs> the most highly anticipated book in the history of America, period. Next to My Life as a Goddess by Guy Branham. <laughs> Available wherever books are sold. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Guy. <laughs> Spicer's book, which I believe is titled Hiding in the Bushes, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Destruction of My Integrity at the Hands of a Racist with Early Onset Dementia, <laughs> is on sale now, and the reviews are in. Here to read some of the highlights from the Wall Street Journal's review of Spicer's book is Matt Ingebretson from Comedy Central's Corporate. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for Thank being you. here. Thank you, guys. John Carl wrote a great review of Spicer's book. Now Matt's going to do a dramatic reading. All right. Mr. Spicer has not been well served by the book's fact checkers and copy editors. He refers to the author of the infamous Trump dossier as Michael Steele who is, in truth, the former chairman of the Republican National Committee, <laughs> not the British ex-spy Christopher Steele. He recounts a reporter asking Mr. Obama a question at a White House press conference in 1999, <laughs> a decade before Mr. Obama was elected. There are also some omissions. He writes about working for Representative Mark Foley, who he says knew how to manage the news cycle, and on top of all that, he was good to staff and fun to be around. He never gets around to mentioning that Mr. Foley later resigned in disgrace for sending sexually explicit messages to teenage boys working as congressional pages. Fun to be around. In praising the president, Mr. Spicer deploys an army of metaphors. At various points, he describes Mr. Trump as a rock star, an inflatable ball in a swimming pool, meaning that he pops up whenever someone tries to take him down. Honestly, not a bad metaphor. <laughs> Honestly, pretty good writing, in my opinion. The Energizer Bunny. And finally, a unicorn on a high wire. <laughs> While Mr. Spicer never second guesses his former boss, he does go after the president's favorite social media tool. Twitter is not glue, he writes. It's a solvent. It is breaking us down. I wish I could have been there when he Googled solvent. <laughs> There's no way he knew what solvent meant before he wrote this. Without taking issue with a single Trump tweet, he adds, we can't settle for just keeping up with the lowest common denominator on Twitter. Thank you very much. Guys, give it up for Matt Ingebretson from Corporate. Thank you, Matt, for doing that. I'd also want to make one note. In the book, uh, Sean Spicer said, called it the lowest common dominator. <laughs> End of note. Do you think his nice coastal elite editor and fact checkers were like, let him hang himself? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, they were like, burn, bitch. You know what I mean? No way. Like, literally, they just cash checks. There was some, like, late 20s woman of color who went to Bryn Mawr was like, fact check your own damn book. Yeah, maybe, maybe she went through and added a bunch of typos, too. <laughs> Sabotage. No, you can't even say that on the record, okay? Because you know he will find you, find your clip and be like, see, he gets me, I was sabotaged. 
Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. I, I think there's nothing smarter for the era of fake news to just fill your book with a bunch of misstatements so that any historian trying to search through this period of time was like, maybe it was Michael Steele, maybe it was Christopher Steele. Um, maybe it was Danielle Steele, it was somebody. Something went down, it got romantical. There is an interview that you should all check out of Sean Spicer on the BBC. Did you oh, God, yes. Give yourself a treat if you haven't seen it yet. It will because feel good. Because when you're dealing with crazy, crazy moves your middle, right? And so if you approached what Sean Spicer is without having lived in the last two years, the only way to approach him is to treat him like that BBC reporter treated him. It was like he was a dog that was too old to be shitting on the carpet. You know what I mean? Not a puppy, where you're like, I gotta teach you. It's like, you know better, girl. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like that, like she was, she was just like, she was British, she was white, but she was serving a Viola Gravitas. You know what I mean? There, she, she had a monologue for and, him. You know what I'm saying? And it is true that a lot of times Sean Spicer has this look on his face when he is confronted, like you are watching him poop in the house and he, yep. and he already started and he has to finish, but he knows, he knows he's making a mistake. Dignity. Something we should all maintain. Cautionary tale. When we come back, the rant wheel. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com store to shop. Now for a segment we call the rant wheel. Here's how it works. We spin the wheel wherever it lands. We talk about the topic. This week on the wheel, we have Maggie Haberman leaving Twitter. We have the Frasier reboot. We have Trump's Walk of Fame star. We have Mercury in retrograde. We have the FX show Pose. We have Planned Parenthood in the South. We have Facebook and Twitter and their inability to get rid of hate on their sites. And we have the video game, No Man's Sky. <laughs> Let's spin the wheel. It has landed on No Man's Sky. Uh, how many people here have heard of the game No Man's Sky? So here's what happened. You know about no it? No idea. Tell me. Two years ago, a game called No Man's Sky was released. This was, a, this was a game of incredible promise. What's the technology where it generates the planets? What's the word? Procedurally generated. God damn it, what a cool group of people. <laughs> it was an incredible 
uh, concept. It was incredibly exciting. It was a game where you get to explore a universe that's procedurally generated, which means when you go to a planet in this game, you're the first person to go there. It is a massive, massive universe with, I don't know, millions, billions, trillions of places you could go. So, so what you're saying is Minecraft for dads. It's saying <laughs> another different Minecraft for people who have finished potty training and maybe work a job now. So is your book about being judgmental? <laughs> is that what it's about? Is it about, it's about finding difference and mocking it and bullying it until it surrenders? Is that what the idea is? Do you think my I would life? write any other book, John? It's called My Life as a Goddess. You got roses on your head. <laughs> I don't think that's what it's about. I, I, I remember because I wrote a lovely quote on the back. I don't remember it ending by saying, but if he doesn't like what you're into, he's a huge fucking dick. <laughs> As I was saying. So, they showed videos of what this game was gonna look like, and it was gonna be fucking incredible. You're gonna land on a planet, it's gonna be filled with crazy creatures generated in the moment. No, no, it was a sad game. You landed on weird, empty planets with half goat, half turtles running around. It's a fucking mess. And most of the time, you just fired laser beams at little stacks of emeralds until you got enough emerald to get off the planet. <laughs> then you go to another planet, and you did it again. And after about 100 hours, I got bored. <laughs> Here's the thing, there was an outrage. There was an outcry about this game. And then the game makers did something very cool, which is over the next two years, bit by bit, they release updates, and apparently now, two years later, with the latest release, the game is like super cool, I guess. But I'll never know, because I played the game when they released it, because I trusted them. <laughs> I'm gonna probably play the game again. It's gonna happen, let's spin the wheel. Honestly, I still play Minecraft. <laughs> Guy still plays Minecraft. It has landed on Planned Parrot in the, uh, in the South, which was suggested by Dawn. Oh, but can I just say, I'm still sitting here thinking about the Sean Spicer Omarosa book tour. <laughs> the whole uh, time. Just you know, pondering though, this. Honestly, uh, though, I just before you get to your rant, and we're going to have your rant, I just want to be clear about something. Omarosa has shown more integrity in leaving yeah. the White House than Sean Spicer, than Dina Powell, than Gary Cohn, than Rex Tillerson. I don't think Omarosa has our best interests at heart. But at least she's fucking telling some truths, yeah. you know, out there. You know, and maybe it's to sell books, but they're all selling books. Sorry, Don, as you were saying. Yes. Good rant. A lot of what's happened in this country, uh, we're saying, oh, all this bad stuff can happen. But the thing we also need to recognize is there's a whole lot of people in this country who have not had access to care, and particularly in the Deep South. And I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. And um, we had to overcome every single barrier you can think of to open one of 14 new health centers that we have opened over the last five years. Uh, while all this... 
And we need every single person standing up to protect and preserve them and make sure women keep their rights in this country. And so, uh, but especially in places like the South and the Midwest and increasingly all the places where there are 20 states poised if Roe goes down where abortion access will be eliminated almost immediately. So right, it's this, real. Alyssa's been real. talking about that a lot. Alyssa Mastromonaco about these trigger laws yeah. uh, that if Roe is overturned, what is something people can do who are listening or here to support this work right now? Great. Uh, two things very quickly. You can text SCOTUS to 22422 and we will put you on the Planned Parenthood list. We won't overwhelm you, but you can put yourself on the list to get some updates. You can also go to uniteforjustice2018.com and we are having a day of action August 26th. Every single state, every single group and organization coming together in this country uh, to stand up against the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. So hope you'll join us for that. Great. Let's spin the wheel again. Okay. <laughs> it has landed on Pose. Liz. Okay, Liz. Pose. Okay, um, so I live for Pose. I breathe for Pose. I cry for Pose. And I, you know, that's not, that's not the hot take, okay? Here's my thing with Pose, okay? I haven't finished yet, I'm, I've been, so I've been binging it, and I truly, I've, I've never felt such joy. However, what is killing me about Pose, I am finishing an episode of Pose. I am feeling rejuvenated. I am feeling reborn. I am feeling ready. And then, the first thing on my screen when it goes to black is Evan Peters, <laughs> James Vanderbeek, Kate Mara. What are you gonna give these side whites Top billing on pose. You telling me James Vanderbeek is coming up in here before MJ Rodriguez? James Vanderbeek, girl, you in here for two minutes at best. Okay, you're giving me Wolf of Wall Street realness. He's in his own drag, which I will admit. And yet, I'm like, I am livid. Does nobody get livid when these people's names come up before the stars of the show who are moving us? See, y'all ain't understanding. This is like my thing with pop. And I know, like I know, or I imagine there's some sort of negotiation and it's like contractual whose name appears where. Like I get that, but I'm like, okay, you looking real petty right now. Okay, these whites are looking petty on pose. And it is driving me crazy. I know Eric, I know there are a lot of whites here. Maybe you ain't appreciating my emphasis at H right now. Okay, go on your own journey after the show, but I'm gonna stay on mine. And it is making me insane. It takes me out of it. I'm done, John. Can we make sure in the description of the episode that Naomi's name is first? Uh, <laughs> Just make sure. I don't want to forget. Uh, <laughs> let's spin it again. Come on, Maggie. Yeah. It has landed on the Frasier reboot, which has been suggested by a guy. I'm excited to see where he takes it. Um, fuck this. Um... If, if I want to watch pure, incestuous, homoerotic tension, I'm going to go to the source from the 90s. Um, I'm going to go to a world where David Hyde Pierce was still closeted. That's where I want to live. Like, making this show today doesn't make any sense 
it's just about two gay guys with too much education. Um, and that essentially is just this episode of Love It or Leave It. <laughs> with, let's be honest, a more diverse Roz. Counterpoint. More Frasier is good. Here's my pitch. 28-year-old, what was their son's name? What was the son's name? Freddy. Freddy. 28-year-old Freddy shows up. You know, who, who he takes after? His grandpa, who's not around. Now we got a street smart guy who doesn't believe in button in, but it's Freddy. And he's still facing off against his dad, Frazier, who's not gay, and his brother, Niles, who is also not gay. <laughs> Counterpitch. <laughs> Lilith. <laughs> An aging, chilly Jewess with a PhD has alienated everyone in her life, and she's loving it. <laughs> Honestly, B.B. Newworth? Yes. Tony Award winner. There could be songs and dances. It could be like Pose meets Frasier. I want B.B. Newworth in this thing full fucking time. When B.B. Newworth came to Frasier, you were in for a fucking treat. And I want her in every episode of this reboot. That'll be my condition. That's a compromise we can reach. I want more Frasier. I love Frasier. Uh, and in hindsight, looking back, was it a gay show that made me feel safe? Sure. Does that mean I have an unhealthy attachment to it? Even though, let's be honest, it was like a B-plus show of its time. Fuck you, it was purity and amazing. That is high-quality farce every episode, and it also managed to be visually arresting, despite the fact that everyone was wearing a grayish-brown at all times. With a very thick lapel. I love Frasier, and if you want to give yourself a nice evening, check out the Ski Lodge episode. Oh, it's so good, it's so good! <laughs> when I said farce, I was specifically thinking of the, the Ski, ski Lodge, Lodge episode. It's the best episode! It's it's so funny. It's so funny. We love Frasier. More Frasier. They made more Roseanne, which was a debacle. But also, like, Kelsey Grammer is also a horrible conservative. And we've seen where this goes. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Fool me twice. Shame but also, on me. Let's be fair. He also gave us the UPN series Girlfriends. Yes, which we do was not talk amazing. about enough. We do not talk enough about executive producer Kelsey Grammer. Now that's a credit sequence I can get behind. <laughs> okay. That I love. And that's our show. <laughs> I want to thank Naomi X. Kerrigan, Don Legant, Guy Brana, Matt Ingebrigtsen. Thank you guys so much for coming out. Have a great night. Spectre.